Welcome to Taking the High Road, a Driver Reach and Freight Waves production. I'm your host, Jeremy Raymer, founder and CEO of Driver Reach. On this show, I interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insights to the driver lifecycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. I appreciate all the positive feedback on the show. Please remember to rate and review Taking the High Road, whatever platform you use to listen. This week, I'm excited to be joined by a very special first, not a first visit, but the first guest to join me for their third visit. One of my favorite people, an industry expert for all things driver compensation, best practices and programs, Leah Shaver, president and CEO of the National Transportation Institute. Welcome back to the show, Leah. Great to see you again. Thanks for having me again. Third time's a charm, I guess. Thrice. Yes, thrice is nice. Thrice is uh, nice. You've been, uh, you've been pretty busy lately with all that's going on in the marketplace and the economy. You recently gave birth to your first child, your son, Malachi. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, you haven't really slowed down. You're still the sunshine girl. You're hosting your Sirius XM Road Dog radio show. You're out there speaking at various events. I, I'd like to hear how you're achieving work-life balance, you know, as a business owner and a new parent. Uh, I'd like to get an update from you on the freight and driver market, you know, what's going on out there today. Uh, I'd like to talk about the NTI driver, uh, driver market uh, forecast, you know, all the data that you share in that report. And uh, perhaps you can share an eye-opening discovery. You know, I know, you know, certainly how much of the growth of uh, driving jobs through the pandemic have been uh, local in the local segment, which certainly doesn't help the uh, long haul regional fleets. Uh, we can discuss what's going on with the um, with fleets, you know, driver marketing spend. Do we see that changing with the economic headwinds we're facing? Is there a shift in uh, strategy as more fleets appear to be focusing on their uh, independent contractor programs? You know, why might that be? And of course, we'll answer a question from one of our listeners during our deeper dive segment. Think we can get through all that? We are both overachievers, so let's give it all we've got. Well, first, talk to us about Malachi. How's he doing? And have you decided what role he might play at NDI, you know, child labor laws aside? Oh, yes, already established. First of all, how is he? Um, he's a, a dream come true that I never knew I had. Uh, as you know, I, I couldn't have kids. And so this was a surprise pregnancy for both me and my husband in our middle age and completely unexpected. Um, it's, as Mark put it, a joy that we never knew we needed. And uh, it's been really amazing to uh, co-parent a child together that's our own. Mark and I have a lot of experience foster parenting and, um, and with a, a daughter and grandkids, but this is the first child that we had together. And so really a, a beautiful experience. And um, I am now that woman busting out my phone anywhere I go to like show off a picture or sharing my screen um, like I will do right here and uh, sharing a photo. But he has a great disposition. He's healthy and um, very sweet and keeping me awake more hours than I ever have in my life. I'm severely sleep deprived. Uh, as to the role he plays at NTI, this is kind of personal and, and interesting, but uh, during the time that I was pregnant, early in the days that I had found out, also overlapped with a, a time of heavy discussion in the United States about the need or lack thereof of paid parental leave. And um, during this time, this is something that really, as a, a, a human resources executive, looking at the cost of, of purchasing uh, insurance, of providing benefits to employees for my entire career, it's always seemed like 
we need to do as much as we can to save money. But looking at those discussions of folks that have either shortened their parental leave, didn't have access to parental leave, uh, women that went back to work immediately after giving birth, men that never uh, were afforded parental leave because either they weren't uh, given it or offered it at work or they couldn't afford to because of being the only earner. Um, the bottom line is that I I read all of these comments and stories in the middle of the night while not sleeping pregnant and uh, woke up the next day and, and told my husband that we were going to put in a paid parental leave policy for our employees. It doesn't impact me as the owner. Uh, if I don't work, I don't get paid. Now you know why I went back to work, right? Um but but for our employees, including my lead admin who heads up customer service and happened to be pregnant with a surprise baby at the same time, uh, she was afforded then paid parental leave in as much time as she needed during her maternity leave, um, 100% of her salary. And how does that impact the rest of the market and NTI? As we advise companies, we're looking for more women in the industry uh, in an industry that is staggeringly short on on 100% paid leave, if not, uh, you know, an affordable uh, amount of leave. And uh, in addition to that, we're in a job where it becomes extremely challenging for women to continue operating if they're operating in the truck once they get to a certain point in their pregnancy or all along if they had a really difficult pregnancy like I did. So, um you know, this, it brings up important issues in our discussions of how to be a more attractive employer in terms of, of recruiting and retaining those ideal employees in this market. But you talked about having to get back to work right away. You know, let's talk about work-life balance, you know, trying to run a business with a newborn. Uh, certainly, you know, working from home helps maybe a little, but it's definitely a challenge, right? How have you been able to manage? Um, I, I'll be, as you know, I'm an open book, ask me and I'll tell you, it is not easy. Uh, this is really, you know, I thought that my pregnancy, which was challenging in a high risk situation because of my age, um, was hard, but, uh, but having a newborn and a business and, and demands, um, some folks are very understanding and, and, you know, said, take as much time as you need. Some folks said, you know, when are you going to come back the day after, um, ultimately, I am an integral part of our operation. And uh, lovely as that is, I'm also healing from a traumatic birth story and trying to snuggle and kiss on and love on my little eight pounder as much as possible. So um, it's really challenging. How do I manage um, uh, with a lot of support from my team? Uh, 100% all hands on deck from from the entire company. Because remember, my lead admin who ends up customer service also was on maternity leave a week earlier than I was. And um, and then uh, some childcare and uh, a lot of, of juggling and handing off the baby from me to nanny to my husband and, and just trying to balance it all while giving him a life that we hope he, he dreamed of, right? Well, for those who may not know, can you share a little about NTI? You know, how do you help your your customers, you know, fleets, you know, navigate all things driver compensation, recruiting, retention, and so on? 
Sure. Um, our, our driver, our, our website is driverwages.com. So that's the quick and easy. Um, and, you know, we serve information and support to folks that employ or contract with professional drivers or technicians or work with companies that do. And uh, the company was started 27 years ago, benchmarking the attributes of driver pay that expanded to fleets that stand out at the top with our trademark top pay carrier certification to benefits, to programs, to best-in-class practices, to rising demand for other wage data. Um, we focused on technicians. We get a lot of asks for all, all types of reports, but drivers and techs is essentially what we specialize in. We aim for fleets to grow, uh, to attract additional workers and expand in their marketplace with an appropriately compensated, but also engaged and retained workforce. And we work with vendor service organizations and, and help them expand in the trucking industry if they're also looking to uh, be attractive and appealing to professional drivers. Can you share what, what's going on in the market today? You know, we're, we're experiencing, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of economic headwinds, inflation, a bear market. How is that impacting driver recruiting and retention? What are you saying? Uh, I think the top impact is a lot of talk. Everybody's talking about it. Um, ultimately, what what still fills a trailer is is being shipped and um, carriers that haul loaded trailers are very busy, right? So, um, you know, as far as recruiting and retention goes, not much of a change there other than a whole lot of conversation about the economic impacts of potentially what this environment can look like in in the weeks and, and months ahead. Now, because those fleets are still working hard to attract the highest qualified driver, which of course I would argue is already in their seat, there's a lot more focus on retention efforts alongside the recruiting efforts. Um, let's say we do get into a greater position where fleets are, are impacted by the economy, then ultimately the first step is that they're going to do more with what they've got. And again, focus on retention, focus on, on tools and impacts that uh, are less costly and, and hopefully uh, give the greatest impact for the least amount possible. It is a really interesting environment because we have a significant number of folks that are aging out, they're wearing out. We have, what I mean by that, I've always said drivers either age out, they, they wear out medical disqualifications, but there's also the equipment shortage, uh, the drug and alcohol clearinghouse. It's not just one issue. And overall, we continue to operate in an environment that is plagued by supply constraints. They're both perpetual and environmental. And the bottom line is nobody has stopped recruiting. Now, you put out a, uh, NTI puts out a, a driver market forecast. Uh, can you share how often you provide that data and, and what it consists of? And then maybe what shocked you with the most recent uh, report? Sure. Um, we we support companies with our driver market forecast as often as they like. Um, that for some folks that means annually, biannually. We we have um, updates internally that we push out to those that ask for it on as much uh, or as often as a quarterly basis. Um, so you know, for the last seven years. Um, or at least the first five of my seven with NTI that was in the boardroom, primarily presenting those findings to leadership at fleets across the country. Over the last two years, we've been doing that largely virtually and uh, more and more um, going up to the very end of my pregnancy. Did I hear from fleets how much they want me back in the in the uh the operations this year back back in person. So um, I think travel is going to increase for me again. Um, 
so when we when we bring those quarterly results to to fleets we are looking at the components that impact driver compensation. And so those are economic factors um, like GDP and unemployment, uh, what's happening in the, in the environment overall, not just in trucking, but also with regard to driver supply. So think retirements and new entrants and medical issues and gender and age. Uh, we look at the demand for capacity. Um, everyone loves a good heat map. We track where wages surge as well as where the wage data is the most sought after. Um, and what that translates to is where folks are seeing demand for capacity. Uh, we look at turnover and we also look at the ultimate gatekeeper on driver compensation and that is freight rates. Um, so we, we're, we're, it, we expand into each of those categories it, with great detail, as as you've read, and um, ultimately put it all together in a package that hopefully they can digest and then go do something with in terms of, of the internal operation. Uh, you asked me what surprised me. Um, you know, jobs are back to pre-pandemic figures, but it's mostly in the LTL and local operations, not in long-haul trucking. Um, there's a dramatic shift both on the shipper and on the carrier side, but it's primarily in that local segment. 70% of the growth has been in local jobs and frankly, less than 10% in, uh, in the long haul trucking. Um, and so what does that mean to you and me? With that trend towards local, it's a huge impact to the folks that both of our companies support by and large, right? In regional, in over the road, in dedicated models. So uh, we ultimately will be tasked with having to help them highlight all that they excel in, in every sales opportunity possible, putting their best foot forward in every way to um, make that job more attractive, and whether it be changes to it or in how we how we um, modify the operation to get it to be more attractive. Well, I used to be an employer of, of drivers, uh, close to 500 full-time and part-time drivers prior to driver reach. And most of my, my drivers were, you know, local, home, daily, almost all of them. And uh, it was easier to hire drivers for me then. Certainly that was, uh, it was welcome, but it seemed like there was always this interest in local jobs from, you know, drivers who may have been previously over the road and something changed in their life. It seems, though, that during the pandemic and the data that you're talking about, 70 percent of the growth since then, it seems like that it's exacerbated that interest in being local. And certainly the demand for it is greater with uh, with so much final mile, you know, freight, Amazon delivering packages on my porch every other day. But uh, it makes sense. But I certainly it seems like that uh, it has accelerated considerably uh, the last couple of years. It's what we call an exacerbated supply constraint. Um, you know, there are components of the the last two years that have altered um, what those historical uh, driver supply constraints have been. So think, you know, unattractive job, um, think drug, drug and alcohol, um, think about the shift, the great amount of hours, you know, those are now added to that is this frequent um, expectation of delivery. I think about this significantly on my, on my own. I mean, um, the pandemic made it so that companies had to make delivery and fast access um, to the home not only possible, but a necessity, right? We had to accommodate that during the pandemic. Well, now 
we're all used to that and it is a necessity. Um, so look, uh, the model has changed. And when you add to the expectations that have been altered by the last two years, you also think about uh, the, the competitive work environment and the fact that unemployment is back to record lows and folks need people in every segment in every industry, um, particularly in all other unappealing or difficult jobs, service industries, et cetera. Now, it appears that fleets are putting more of a, a focus on their independent uh, contractor programs. Are you are you seeing that too? And, and do you think that's a result of the turbulent environment or, or is there another reason for that? Um, I do think that the, um, the, 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 possible transitioning, um, you know, economic environment and doubt that happens is a component of it. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's any one uh, significant factor. I mentioned for you a few of the other exacerbated supply constraints, and I would add um, drug and alcohol clearinghouse folks that entered the industry um, that that were able to get by and are are exiting. Um, that could be from a financial perspective. It could be other factors. Um, but the other one is the equipment shortages. Um, as the market tightens financially for one truck owner, that capacity can add to a larger carrier if they're attractive. So certainly we've been advising fleets that want to attract owner operators to work on that now in a proactive way. Uh, what can they do? Position your marketing correctly, your pitch. You know, it might not be one and done. If you're looking typically to hire company drivers, that may not fit the same line for the folks that we're talking about. Um, the other one is working with your recruiters to make sure they really understand all that you offer to an owner operator. And then lastly, ensuring that you're still respecting an independent contractor's status um, so that we don't get in legal trouble, you know, with the folks that we're looking to add to the company. So I, I don't think it's one issue, but I do think that for as long as there are equipment shortages, working with more owner operators is going to remain attractive. And ultimately, when that equipment starts to become available, it's going to be available across the board and we're still going to be fighting for people then too. With all the talk that we've had in the industry over the last couple of years, especially throughout the uh, pandemic, uh, the demand for for drivers, for freight and so on, we saw a huge uh, increase in, in new entrants into the industry from what I understand. I don't know the exact number, but it was a pretty significant spike. And I think if, if I'm not mistaken, almost all of that was, you know, single operators and, and so on, you know, independent contractors with their own trucks and, you know, from a, from a new, you know, DOT, a new, um, you know, a new entrant new into the industry. Yep. So, yeah, exactly. So from, from that standpoint, or, you know, with the challenging times that we're, uh, you know, kind of wrestling with right now, some of them I would imagine may be challenging, maybe an opportunity for them to take advantage of some of the uh, the fleets that are embracing more of, or, or growing and focusing more on their independent contractor model. Yeah, so, I, I think it's important to be as proactive as possible, though, because um, the some of the folks that had the lowest barrier entry in, they also look for the quickest way out, right? So that's why we're saying if if that's where you're um, where you're interested in growth in the short term, then then you want to start working on it yesterday. This this is a is a perfect just with the challenges that we're facing. We're still you know people get all upset when you reference you know driver shortage, but there's no question that there's a there's certainly not enough qualified or qualifiable drivers to meet the, the existing and ongoing demand. So <clears throat> this might be a good opportunity to get into the deeper dive question 
um, by one of our listeners, which is, do you believe that reducing the minimum age from 21 to 18 will have an impact on the current driver shortage? In the short term, no. Um, you know, immediately, let's just talk about the apprenticeship program. And I mean, being on the workforce committee, Jeremy, you're going to know numbers and and timelines even greater than I would. Um, the bottom line is we have, what, 3,000 apprenticeships possible, and there are a number of, of limitations or drag there. You know, who's really more successful at, at getting those um, started, approved? Are they launching timely is the is the workflow in that process going to be effective and ultimately um that's about data isn't it it's to get uh to understand exactly what are the qualifications the capabilities are they safe drivers um you know can we get this passed across the board so short term i i do think it's a no um but even without the federal program more local opportunities that I mentioned before, that builds pipeline. And there are a lot of local jobs available. Uh, we work with companies across North America and not only for hire fleets, but private fleets as well, where there's a very large number of local jobs. And, and you mentioned yourself, you you owned a company and, and had a number of, of local jobs available. Um, the more that we uh, focus on dedicated business at truck at trucking companies and on private fleets that already offer a, a fair amount of jobs with um, with scheduled home time and transparency in the pay and schedule. Those jobs are still potential for a younger intrastate driver. So it's really important that we continue to engage with younger people, not just with policy, but also in our own community, in our family, in schools. And you know, why do I dress Malachi in outfits? That that say future trucker, um, why do I tell my network that they um, they need to keep in mind that my son will be entering the industry in 18 years? It's because he will. Uh, that's just that's just the way it works in the Shaver household. And so um, if we duplicate that process across the board in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, uh, I think that we'll continue to see more impact on the driver shortage. But uh, we can't just wait for the market to throw us those drivers or um, or or hope that that the the potential workforce continues to evolve. We have to make sure that we're doing it ourselves. Well, you and I are both on the board of Next Generation in Trucking, and I had a, a, an honor to have you know Lindsay Trent, co-founder uh, of the association, on our show. And she shared kind of her thoughts of probably somewhere along the timeline of maybe five years from now before that uh, age would be reduced anyway. So certainly in the short term, as you said in the beginning, uh, no, it's not going to change much. Let's just hope that the data that we get from this pilot program tells the story that when prop young, properly trained drivers are as safe or safer than their you know current equivalent you know counterparts, then I think that might uh, go a long way to helping to create and foster a pipeline of younger drivers, you know, that can build careers in the industry. Absolutely. So, and in the meantime, I hope we continue to build that pipeline on our own so that um, we're dipping from several different uh, potential pots, right? We've got folks that are coming up in the industry. We've got experience. We've got younger drivers in apprenticeship programs, you know, create the workforce that we're, we're dreaming of rather than hoping for it to come to us. Well, with a couple minutes left, I'm curious, you know, what should we be expecting going forward? Do you, do you think we've hit, you know, pause on driver range increases for the remainder of the year, or perhaps a doubling down on, on retention efforts instead? Uh, you know, 
remember we've been doing this for a really long time, 27 years at NTI. Uh, when someone asks me to whip out my crystal ball, um, I tend to instead look back at the data and ask what story does it tell? We talked about the components that influence driver wages. So their driver supply, which is fluid, still constrained, you know, many new entrants, uh, many high expectations in the demanding labor market that's net short in most segments. We look at driver turnover, improved at some fleets, maintained high at others. Um, you know, think about your podcast recently with Amanda. Um, talking about the the growing need of roles for driver and employee engagement. That means satisfaction and retention, um, demand for capacity. There's no shortage of asks there. There's no expectations from carriers that it's dropping so significantly that they don't need to remain competitive. And then freight rates, you know, that gatekeeper. Lots of talk about the spot market and reductions. Uh, and that's where many of those new entrant independent contractors that we just talked about have been operating the last year, but contract rates are still in place. Dedicated solutions are still sought after, even with independent contractors, by the way. Shippers are still coming to us each week wanting to stay in tune with those competitive offerings. So bottom line, pay-in programs for existing drivers are going to remain competitive because fleets always hope for and um, aspire to attract the most experienced driver. And as you know, at most small fleets, that entrant level just at their company is at a minimum of two years of experience. So we're still going to see that folks really want to stay competitive. Um, the easier that it becomes to recruit, Historically, fleets will reorganize their base rates for new drivers. They'll spend less on marketing to attract. And um, ultimately, as I answered in a recent interview that we both participated in, if I had 100 grand to spend, 85% uh, of it would be retaining the folks that I already have. And that could be in pay. That could be in programs. It could be in support, in comforts, in technology, um, all items that we contribute or continue to track and talk with fleets about so that they can maintain their status so that they offer a professional driver and technician a rewarding and secure career choice. Well, Leah, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate your passion and energy and congratulations once again. For thank your son, you. Malachi. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thanks for joining me for another episode of Taking the Higher Road and for spreading the word to your industry peers. We really appreciate it. Remember, you can submit any questions or comments, including those which may appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road, whatever platform you use to listen. Until next time, thank you for Taking the Higher Road. 